met yet already. My name's Stephen, and uh, it's wonderful to have you here. It's a great time to be connecting into the church. Lots of people connecting in from all sorts of different backgrounds. People have gone to church before in their life. People who have never been to church before in their life. People are still working out whether they want to come to church. And uh, wherever you're at tonight, you're so welcome, and we hope it really feels like home. And I'm looking forward to getting to know you and hearing a bit of your story. We started a series last week looking at virtues and vices. And tonight we're looking at patience and anger. And I'm just going to read two little passages from Scripture. The first is from Matthew 5. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. And then this from the Proverbs. Proverb 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. It's very difficult to live a normal life and not experience any anger. No matter how calm you are by nature, no matter how long your fuse, hassles come, frustrations build up, and every now and again, things get to you. It's part of being human. It's almost impossible to live a normal life and never feel angry. And even if you could do that, that wouldn't necessarily be a holy or a healthy way to live. Studies show that to be angry all the time is really dangerous for your health. It's not good for your physical health, for your mental health, and has all sorts of negative impacts on your body. But to repress your anger, to put it in a box and hide it away and pretend that nothing ever bothers you, that can really harm you in other ways. And some studies uh, recently have said that what you actually need, what you most need in your life is an outlet for your authentic rage. So just find a way that you can release your, uh, your anger and your rage at some point. So one of the studies suggested, you know, just have a punch bag in your bedroom and once a day just kind of lay into this punch bag, get it out of your system. Apparently in some cities you can hire a soundproof room and you can just go in there and scream as loud as you like about life, the universe, and everything until you lose your voice. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a bit odd, but there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I think it shows that as a culture, we're sort of reaching for wisdom and solutions in this whole area. Anger is like a fire. You never quite know what's going to happen once it starts. And it's almost like the only check on that is our patience. But in our culture at the moment, when it feels like we've never been angrier as a society than before, we're also really losing our ability to be patient. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. All the things that used to teach us patience and long-suffering are slowly being removed from our day-to-day -day lives. One of the impacts of kind of consumer capitalism is that if a company can do something quicker for you, then they're going to win. I mean, if, if you can order a book and it arrives in three days from one company or tomorrow from another, 
the quicker company is going to eliminate the slower company within a matter of years. And we see that happening all the time. I used to work in WH Smith when I was 16 years old. People would come all the way into the center of town. They would order a book through a little computer. They'd go away again. They'd come back two weeks later. Two weeks later, they'd come into the shop. They'd say, is it here yet? Sometimes it would be. Sometimes it wouldn't. They'd go home again. They'd come back a week later and say, is it here yet? Sometimes it would be. I couldn't believe it. You know, I, there used to be this thing where if you wanted to watch a TV program, it's going to be hard for me to explain this to you, um, you had to turn on the TV and then work out if the television companies decided that it was a good time for you to watch that program or not. So they kind of decided what you should watch, and then you just had to try and fit in with their program. Like, you know, if you weren't there at 9 o'clock, you missed it. <laughs> that was it. And, and once the episode finished, it wasn't just like, do you want to see the episode, can I wait 15 seconds? It's so annoying when Netflix says, you know, next episode starting in 15 seconds. What could I do with 15 seconds? How many 15 seconds I'm waiting for my whole life? You had to wait a week. A whole week. Be there again. Now you can watch a box set in a day. Two box sets, three box sets. All these things, because of the way we live, are slowly eroding our ability to cope with very basic things that impact on our convenience and our comfort. And it's eroding our ability to be patient, or the, you know, the, the literal translation is long-suffering, to put up with, to suffer with those things that cause us inconvenience. So fascinating. Jesus is remarkably, as ever, balanced. He warns here just how dangerous anger is. It's serious. It destroys relationships. It can cause you to do something you might regret for the rest of your life. It can even impair your relationship with God because, as we know, God is slow to anger. Jesus demonstrated extraordinary self-control and patience through his life. When provoked, when criticized, when insulted, when mocked, when attacked, he responded with gentleness and with grace. And yet Jesus also got angry. He got angry at evil. He got angry at injustice. He got angry at death. He got angry at those in power who misled people. He got angry at corruption. So it seems like we don't want to be angry in a reckless way, but it can be right in some circumstances to be angry. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. But that's the challenge, isn't it? That's the catch. To be angry for the right reason, with the right person, at the right time, for the right you know, motive, to the right extent, in the right way, is very, very, very hard. And for that, we will need supernatural patience. So we're going to see tonight, firstly, we need to recognize the challenge of anger. In the, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaching here in Matthew 5, right at the core of his most famous sermon. He could talk about anything in the world, and he focuses on anger. Listen, you shall not murder anyone. Anyone murders will be subject to judgment, which you think, yeah, that's good. But I tell you, I tell you, maximizing the Old Testament law, anyone who's angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. You think, well, why does Jesus care so much about this? Because murder is an extreme outward manifestation of an anger that's gripped the heart. You might never have killed anyone, but you might, if you're honest tonight, have wished that someone in your life would just disappear, leave town, not be around anymore. Anger is dangerous. It's like starting a fire in a forest. And often our self-control is just not strong enough to hold the power anger unleashes. 
And there's a difference between anger and rage. Sometimes what starts as really focused, precise anger ends up as unfocused rage because anger is like a temporary madness. I don't know if you've noticed this. You know, you see red, the blood rushes around your body, and before you know it, you see you're saying things you don't really mean. You're saying things you know aren't really true. You start saying, you never, you always. People get angry in all sorts of different ways. Um, I don't know if either of these relate to you in any way. Um, some people experience what you might call hot anger. Um, so this is when, you know, your, your emotions are quite close to the surface. Um, no one has ever had to ask you if you're upset or angry because you show them and you tell them and um, you let them know in about five seconds. And actually, you quite enjoy an argument. If you're honest, you never really know if you like someone until you've had a proper row. And um, you experience a bit more of what might be called hot anger. But then some people experience more of a cold anger. This isn't as direct. It's more passive. It's kind of there in the deep waters of your emotions, but it's definitely there. And if someone asks you if you're upset, you always say no. Because if you have to tell them, they'll never understand. And you just let it roll. But inside, you're seething. You know, the hot anger person might send a text saying, I wish you were dead. The cold anger person might just slowly distance themselves from someone who's made them angry. They're both, though, driven by the same root cause. One looks like how we'd understand anger, the not so much. Because anger, when we're angry, it simplifies and it objectifies. It releases the cortisol stress hormone in our brains. That means it's kind of preparing us to fight or to disappear. It's kind of eliminating complexity. It's reducing our empathy. And it means that in that context, then we're not that wise. We need to recognize the challenge of anger. But we also need to grow our patience. And how can we grow patience? Well, we need greater perspective and greater empathy. Um, I moved house not too long ago. And when you move house, there's a lot of life admin you have to do. It's really frustrating. And uh, like your to-do list just gets longer and longer. And one of the things I was tasked to do um, was to cancel our Wi-Fi contract. But we only had two days to do it. And it was one of those like quite onerous Wi-Fi contracts. If you don't cancel it in time, it rolls on. And you end up paying for like a whole other year. It's really expensive. So I phoned up the call center. And I said, hi, I'm just phoning. How can I help you today, sir? Oh, thanks so much. Um, I just need to phone to cancel my Wi-Fi contract. Oh, do you have your details? Yes, uh, my name is this. Uh, this is my address, yeah, uh, email address, yeah, I've got that, yeah, here's my email address. Do you have the code for the Wi-Fi box? I was like, oh, I think I do, hunted around, we haven't yet packed that, okay, yeah, yeah, here's the code for the Wi-Fi box, great. And then the lady at the call center said, and do you have your five-digit security code? And I was like, what? And she said, your five-digit security code? And I said, I didn't know I had a five-digit security code. She said, no, there's one that attaches to every um, Wi-Fi contract. And I was like, oh, well, how, how would I have got that? And she said, well, when you first signed up, we would have sent it out to you. And I said, that was five years ago. And she said, yeah, I know, but you need it. And I said, as my frustration was slightly rising, slightly difficult days, one of nine things I've got to do. And I'm saying, well, well, how would I get it? And she says, well, it's on the letter. And I said, but I don't have the letter anymore. And she said, well, well I can't cancel your contract without the five-digit passcode. And I said, why? She said, because I need to protect your identity. And I said, well, what do you mean my identity? She said, she said well, I want to protect you from fraud. And I said, but it's me. <laughs> I just gave you my address, my email, 
the, the number of the actual Wi-Fi box, which is only in my house, like, how could it be anyone else? You said, well, you could be impersonating someone else. I said, how many people do you know fraudulently impersonate people to cancel their Wi-Fi contracts? Like, what is the advantage that I'm getting? Like, does someone hate me that much? They're trying to stop me watching Netflix? Like, why would they do that? She said, I know, it's very, and I'm getting more and more. I just, I just don't understand. She said, look, I can't help you. That's company policy. If you don't have your five-digit password, she says, but don't worry, I'll help you out. I said, oh, thanks. She said, um, we'll post you one. A new one to my address. She said, yeah. I said, how long will it take? She said, two weeks. I said, I can't wait two weeks. You're going to take a whole other year of Wi-Fi out of my account in two days' time. She said, I'm very sorry about that. I said, are you? <laughs> I was on the end of this phone getting more and more frustrated. And as my kind of frustration and anger started to rise in me, suddenly, you know, my empathy was reducing. And I was thinking, I'm seeing this really clearly. And I said, you know, just, just hazard a guess, maybe as a company your motive isn't to protect my identity, maybe it's to increase your profit margin. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, hazard a guess, you know, the company does quite well out of people who find it quite hard to cancel their contracts, just out of interest. I don't know if you remember, but five years ago when I opened this account, I gave you my money, I gave you my name, you needed no information about my identity, and I started the account straight away. Now I'm trying to close it, you're making it harder than applying for a passport. And, um, and I said, you know, just out of interest, across the UK last year in your annual accounts, how much did the company make from people like me who had to pay an extra installment of their Wi-Fi contract because you made it so difficult for them to cancel? And um, at that moment, my wife Beth walked into the room and, um, and gave me a look that I've learned to trust and fear. And, um, and I was slightly humbled. And she said, Steve, <laughs> what are you? And I said, I'm so sorry. And so I suddenly realized it snapped me out of it. I thought, what am I doing? I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting irritable. I'm getting angry with poor Maureen at the call center. She doesn't make the decisions. She's not on the board of the company. She's just having a different day with some awkward person trying to explain to her. I said, Maureen, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I've, I've just lost perspective for a moment. I'm sorry. I know it's not your policy. It's my fault. I'm just getting frustrated. I'm moving house. It's a difficult game. Lots going on. Please forgive me. And then we had a really lovely chat after that. And, um, and then she liked me so much, she cancelled my Wi-Fi contract. So, um, <laughs> but it's so funny. Sometimes when we feel our blood boiling, we kind of just need to take a step back, get some perspective. Does it really matter what's really going on? You know, when things start to irritate me, when things start to step on my toes, when I start to get frustrated by little things in conversations or in phone calls or in emails, it's normally a sign to me that I've lost perspective. Sometimes the holiest thing you can do is to pause, step away from things, get some exercise, have a good meal, and get a good night's sleep. Get some perspective. It helps you build your patience. And then empathize. Um, when I was at school, I went to a very rough school, and uh, these days you call it a failing school. Largely because it failed and they knocked it down. And, um, and uh, I'm very thankful for the education I received there. And, and, and often these fights would happen at my school all over the place. But the, the main place of fights was in the changing rooms because the teachers very rarely went in there. And one day, they would, the guys were trying to get me to fight this other guy and uh, pushing us towards each other, how all fights start in high school. And, um, and eventually the fight started. But I didn't really want to be in the fight because actually it's quite embarrassing to admit this, but... Um, 
I used to have play dates with a guy when we were in nursery. So it's a bit odd to have a fight with him. You know, he's like, see my house, and you know, we made cakes together and stuff like that. So um, anyway, so he hit me in the face, and I was like, oh, well, it's a bit awkward. And then he hit me in the face again. I was annoying being hit in the face twice. So I got him into a headlock, and I was just about to hit him back. And I looked at his face, and I thought, this is my, I know this guy. And in that moment, strange as it may sound, I looked down at him, and I suddenly remember that he had had a really difficult five years because he had a tragedy in his family four years before, and um, it had just been a really difficult time for him and his whole family. And so there I am, everyone baying for blood in the change room, looking down at this guy. I've been hit in the face twice, bleeding a little bit, got him right where I want him. But as I looked at his face, I suddenly felt this deep empathy for him. You know, when you're angry, get perspective. But then also ask the Holy Spirit to grow your empathy for the person you're with. You know, you might think that the person you're frustrated with, the person you're angry with, is your enemy. Let me tell you, they're not your true enemy. They're just flesh and blood. They're just a human being. They're someone who Jesus Christ died for. They might have done the wrong thing. It might not be right. Maybe it should have been different. But as the anger builds within you against that person, it's really important to take a step back. You know, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual powers, the forces of evil in this present age and in the spiritual realm. Take a step away. Ask God to grow patience in you. One of the things that the Holy Spirit has most done in my life is to soften my hard heart and to remind me, to make me more aware just how much I need God's grace. And there are people who might make you angry from time to time, but I tell you, they're no worse than me. I need God's grace just as much as they do. Jesus died for them just as much as me. And they might have made mistakes. They might be big mistakes, but they're not necessarily a moron or a fool. Jesus says, if you come to worship and you realize you have hate in your heart, go, make peace, and then come back and worship. And I tell you, I find that one of the hardest verses in all of Scripture. But it shows how important our day-to-day -day relationships are in how we relate to God. Anger will tempt you to depersonalize. You need to humanize. Remind yourself they're only people at the end of the day. They're not your true enemy. So you need to recognize the challenge of anger. You need to grow in patience and uh, build that perspective and that empathy and that trust. And then ask God to refine you. Because we've been talking about what a challenging thing anger is and how difficult it is. But anger isn't necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. Augustine said, the twin daughters of hope are anger and courage. Anger at the way the world is and courage to do something about it. If you've lost all your hope, you'll never get angry. Sometimes the anger you feel is a sign of the hope that you have. When you look out and you see the unfairness in the world, the injustice, the evil that's harming people, and you feel stirred in your spirit, in your guts, to do something about it. When that anger rises in you, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's the opposite of love. It's not anger, it's hate. And the final form of hate is indifference. Indifference to what's going on. But if you hold on to your anger so long, it consumes your love, what are you left with? 
One of the challenges for our world at the moment is how we pursue this passion for justice without allowing our anger at injustice to burn up our love. So how do we refine our anger? How do we direct it to good ends? Well, anger is energy released to defend something you love. That's what uh, Tim Keller says. I love that quote. Anger is energy released to defend something you love. We get angry when something we love is threatened. And so if you think about it, if you follow your anger, you find your loves. The challenge for me then is I realize that most of the things I get most angry about are not that significant. And they're normally things to do with me. Lots of my loves are in the wrong places. They're, they're things that aren't that important or, or, or they're not the main things in life. It's interesting, if, if someone makes you wait for a really long time, if you've ever experienced this, you know, where you arrange to meet someone at you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon and they kind of send you a text at 3.05 saying, I'm on my way, which means they've just got out of the shower. And then, um, and then they still make you wait and it's like 3.15, 3.25, 3.30, 3.40 and you're sitting there and you might feel the blood pressure rise because it's like, this is really annoying. You think, why bother to pick a time? Why not just if we bump into each other in the city at some point? You know, it's like, it's so annoying. You know, if, if you get angry waiting for people, it might be that actually your ultimate love is status. And when they turn up late, it, it just jostles that a bit. It's touching that a bit. You know, I feel like they're making me feel insignificant and that's making me angry. When someone gets promoted over you at work or is given a project you would love to have worked on, and you get angry and it doesn't go, it stays there. Maybe one of your loves is your career. If someone insults you or snubs you in some way and you're still angry a week later and you can't let that phrase or that comment, a throwaway comment they probably forgot they even said, out of your mind, maybe one of your loves is your image of yourself and it's hard to let things go. It's not necessarily these things are bad things, but they're just not the best things. They're not designed to hold the weight of your love. They can't give you what you really need. So often when we get angry, we're defending ourselves and our ego. And we persuade ourselves it's righteous anger, but often it's not. And when I'm feeling like that, I, I just want to come back to God again. Say, God, would you help me? Holy Spirit, would you show me afresh that there is one who loves me more than I can ever understand, that there is one who has good purposes for my life, who's committed to his will for my life, whose purposes can't ultimately be frustrated. And that makes me more patient. That gives me a steadiness. That gives me a trust in the midst of disappointment. That gives me a, a kind of a sureness when I'm thrown and unbalanced and upset. To the extent I receive the love of Jesus, the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into my heart and that empowers me. Might empower you to take your eyes off your status. Take your eyes of, off what other people think of you. Take your eyes off your career or your relationships, your finance, your idealized image of yourself and just focus afresh on Jesus. Say, Jesus, would you show me how to be like you? who was utterly long-suffering, who was patient to the end, who was willing to put him through self through things which 
kind of blow your mind because he was so committed to win you, to win me. You see, holy anger doesn't set out to destroy relationships. It sets out to restore them. God's anger at evil and sin and injustice, it didn't result in our destruction. It resulted in our redemption. Don't let the anger you feel destroy your relationships. Help it energize you to restore them. Energize you to make a difference where God has placed you. There are injustices. They need to be addressed. There are inequalities. We want to work towards resolving them. There are people in this city who are in the grip of evil, and we want to see them set free. But to do so in a way that is completely loving and completely patient. So your colleagues, your friends at school, your friends at university might look at you and say, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about you. Because when people snub you and insult you, you respond with grace. Because things that would make other people angry and upset, they just don't seem to bother you in the same way. And when I see you speak up firmly, it's always for other people and not for yourself. Where does that come from? What makes you different? How can I be a little bit more like that? How do you keep so calm in the midst of the storm when people around you are getting frustrated and agitated with each other? How is it that you can be someone who brings peace and compassion and gentle words that turn away anger rather than heated words that stir it up? What is it that marks you out? Just think of the difference we could make in our businesses, in our hospitals, in our schools, in our colleges, in our universities, as we go out filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, confident in who God has made us to be, committed to getting angry about the right things and not committed to just defending our own interests, and passionate to see the name of Jesus lifted high in our church, in our communities, and in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.